this year is really the year for me of the great reconciliation between uh, streaming and movies. I mean, so, some very striking uh, elements we saw uh, on the red carpet, Mr. Tim Cook himself walking the red carpet alongside uh, Martin Scorsese and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio together with the Paramount team. What a good illustration. We had also uh, uh, Bob Iger himself coming for the, uh, for the first screening of uh, Indiana Jones. And I think all these elements are very interesting signs that this year it feels good being close to the theatrical industry. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the pulse of theatrical exhibition. Here today with our colleague Jesse Rifkin, box office analyst here at Box Office Pro, going over the opening weekend of Fast X, which enjoyed a big, big global launch in theaters. And we will also be going over what moviegoers have in store for next weekend's opening weekend of The Little Mermaid, the live action remake coming to theaters from Disney. In our feature segment, I will be speaking with our CEO, Julian Marcel, who's over in France. We'll be going over all the details from Cannes 2023. The film festival is currently underway. Julian and I will be going over all the highlights, the main talking points from this year's festival. But before we get started, let's get a quick message from this week's sponsor, Screen Vision Media. Screen Vision Media is a national leader in delivering comprehensive advertising and content representation for top-tier cinema exhibitors, including three of the top five nationwide. Screen Vision Cinema Advertising Network provides national coverage spanning 94% of DMAs and comprising over 2,000 theaters and over 13,500 screens. National advertisers are drawn to the strengths of Screen Vision's network. There is simply no substitute to reach the young, diverse, and highly engaged audience, coupled with precise measurement and big screen impact that cinema consistently delivers. To find out more, visit ScreenVision.com. And we are back here on the Box Office Podcast with my colleague, Jesse Rifkin, our box office analyst. Jesse, you work here every Sunday going over the breaking news of box office earnings that we get sent to us by the studios. And of course, we are coming off a big, big opening weekend for Fast X, the 10th entry in the main franchise of the Fast and the Furious. We say big, big on a global basis because domestically, as we know, I think it's expected, it's been diminishing returns for this franchise for a number of years now. Can you put that domestic opening weekend in context? Because I know this opened at 67.5 million. That's uh, within the range of the box office pro forecast that we published before release. But how does that add up and really measure against the rest of the franchise's opening weekends? Not great. <laughs> it's It opened not just below the last one or two or three or four or five, but it opened below the last six opening weekends in the Fast and Furious franchise. That is the main installments, excluding the uh, 2019 spinoff called Hobbs and Shaw. 
Yeah, not great there on a 67.5 million debut, as we mentioned. When we look at how this entry fared and we compare it to the last entry that was released during the pandemic, F9, uh, that came out in June of 2021, it's actually not that much of a difference, right? It might seem like a bigger jump, but if we just go back two years within a very similar market, it's right online. It just slightly below, yeah. So again, so so this tenth installment opened to sixty-seven point five million. The last installment from two years ago opened to seventy million. So this is about three percent behind in the same general range, but but a few percentage points below. Yeah, so it's a it's a new way of looking at how these titles are performing domestically. I think we're we're hitting a consistency here where yes, of course, these aren't the movies that were released in the 2010s that are bringing in 100 million dollar plus domestic opening weekends, but they are by and large still performing. Cinema owners don't mind having a performance like this on opening weekend domestically. Overseas, however, this is a franchise that was reinvigorated and became a billion dollar earner thanks to the overseas market. I mean, we're looking at market shares where the total theatrical run for these movies have been 70% plus since the sixth installment in 2013. So for the last decade, these Fast and Furious movies are primarily overseas franchises, specifically markets like China, where they do fantastically well. It's hard to compare on an opening weekend, like for like basis, knowing that there are different markets that open simultaneously in different points. But what was the overseas opening weekend for this title? We're talking $251 million overseas for a $318 million global opening weekend. Now, as you mentioned, some of the Prior films, for example, the last one, F9, opened staggered rather than a global release. It opened in some different markets and different weekends, which makes a bit, which makes an exact comparison kind of difficult. But even still, from what we can see, it is opening below the numbers we've gotten used to for the last decade overseas and, and globally. So again, we're talking 318 million global opening. Fate of the Furious opened much higher than that, 532 million globally. Furious 7 opened also a bit higher than that globally with 384 million. Even if you look at its biggest market, China, this new one has opened about 78 million. That's below F9, which opened to 128 million in China. It's even below the Hobbs and Shaw spinoff, which opened with 99 million in China. And I think that's going to be key here for how we end up assessing the financial performance of this title, the Chinese market. China has been, if not the top global earning market for this franchise, among the two or three, really, for a decade plus now. The Chinese gross here, 78 million, as you mentioned, below, good chunk below of what the prior installment did. So if the domestic performance is really in line, seeing that decline in China, I think has to be the most alarming part of this. What did the F9 total theatrical run in China end up adding to? It was a 216 million for China, and then Hobbs and Shaw legged out to 201 million in China. So really, the $200 million benchmark that the most recent entries in this franchise are expected to cross in China, that may be up at risk here considering the open weekend in the country. However, good news coming in from Universal that this title did get a fairly positive Maoyan audience rating of 8.9. F9 got a Maoyan audience rating of 7.8. So if that gives us any indication, maybe this will lag out to cross that $200 million mark, but I think that's really 
really going to be the biggest market that we have here domestically. I'm not sure this one has enough legs to hit the domestic total of 173 million that F9 hit. We may be looking here at a range between 150 to 170, slightly below what that last entry in the franchise did. And a big part of that, of course, is where we are on the schedule because Jesse, we've got a packed Q2 slate coming up and this coming weekend is no exception. We've got the live action debut of the Little Mermaid movie from Disney uh, that is expected to hit around the $100 million range domestically for the opening weekend. I think we're looking at a range between 90 to 110 for the three-day earnings. On a four-day holiday weekend frame, we are looking at a range between 115 to 140 million. And as always, you can go to our website, boxofficepro.com to check out our latest forecast of what's coming up at the movies this weekend, including our projected drop for Fast X, which we do expect to lose a little bit of momentum here at the box office. But Jesse, thank you once again so much for joining us here on the Box Office Podcast. Of course, great to be here. And now after this commercial break from our sponsor, Jackrow, we'll be speaking to Box Office Company's CEO, Julian Marcel, to get a look inside the latest goings on at the Cannes Film Festival that is coming up after the break. This episode of the Box Office Podcast is brought to you by Jack Rowe, whose full-service box office management system has users singing their praises. Julie and Jeff Eisentrout, owner-operators of Eisentrout Theaters, say, Over the years, Jack Rowe has expertly responded to the growing digital needs of the industry and developed a product that is both logical and operator-friendly. Their support has always been timely, helpful, and reliable. Most important, and why we've never looked elsewhere, are the relationships we've developed. Our friends at Jack Rowe are are patient and helpful and always treat us like we're part of the family. When it all gets down to it, we do business with people, and Jack Rowe has always had the best in that department. To find out more, visit www.jacro.com. And a big thank you to our sponsors this week here on the Box Office Podcast, both Screen Vision Media and Jackrow for their support of our show. We are now in the feature segment of the episode. In just a minute, I'll be joined by our CEO, Julian Marcel, to go over all of the updates from the Cannes Film Festival. But before he comes on, a quick update here on the titles that are getting early strong buzz and reviews, both in competition and out of competition at the world's most prestigious film festival in southern France. We've got uh, Jonathan Glazer's uh, The Zone of Interest coming out from A24. This is a Holocaust drama that is garnering very, very strong notices from the critics attending the festival. Glazer is far from being what we would call an accessible or audience-friendly filmmaker, but his movies, for those people that are interested in being pushed a little bit, being challenged by a film, he usually delivers. Judging from the critical consensus around this title, early reviews point to another very strong film from Glazer. If you remember, his last film to hit theaters came out in 2013, Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson, a very, very strong film that I highly recommend. Again, not for everyone, but if you're into movies that are not for everyone, you will be into his work. Later on here, we've got Hirokazu Koreeda's Monster. Uh, that is from the Japanese filmmaker who previously won the Palme d'Or at Cannes in 2018 with his masterpiece, Shoplifters, a film I 
absolutely adore. He's back at the festival once again with another family drama entitled Monster. For those of you familiar with Koreeda, he's a filmmaker that usually makes films around one theme, which is family, non-traditional families. He usually innovates on that theme, brings in different dimensions of how we define a family unit and a family structure in today's society. He is from Japan, but I think his movies speak on a global level and are accessible to many audiences. We'll be looking at who picks that movie up uh, for distribution. It, this might be outdated already. It might have already have distribution, but we'll be updating you on when that hits theaters as soon as we learn more. Here, another big standout from the festival that actually just got acquired as we're recording this is... Director Todd Haynes with another relationship drama, I say another, because you might be familiar with Todd Haynes' film Carol, which is a fantastic work from the 2010s. He is back with another relationship drama here, May, December, which uh, was just acquired by Netflix for $11 million, according to reports coming out of Cannes. You don't spend that kind of money acquiring a relationship drama film unless you believe there is an awards potential in that title. The reviews out of Cannes certainly seem like there may be, and Netflix definitely thinks they've got something here, acquiring the next film by director Todd Haynes. And of course, going into the out-of-competition titles that have garnered a lot of buzz here from the festival, let's start with Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which uh, screened out-of-competition, a packed screening at Cannes. Unfortunately, we are looking at mixed reviews for the title, it was a good strategy for Disney to put this out there to get a lot of good headlines, get their stars out there for the big uh, debut in front of audiences of this movie. But the reception has been more cold than hot uh, from critics so far. That is coming out to theaters later this summer. On the other end of the equation, Paramount and Apple bet on putting Killers of the Flower Moon at Cannes out of competition, and it has garnered stellar and strong reviews coming out of that first screening at the festival. That movie is not coming out until October. So to put that movie out in a theater this early on before release was the right move for both Paramount and Apple that now have a good amount of momentum leading up to the release of that film. It is very likely that we'll see Killers of the Flower Moon do more of the festival circuit once we get into the Telluride Toronto New York Film Festival corridor in September, leading up to that big theatrical release from Paramount Pictures this October. An Apple production, but this one is, as we've been mentioning uh, for the last couple of weeks now, this movie is getting an exclusive theatrical run and a promised theatrically focused marketing campaign to bring audiences in. The hype train for Killers of the Flower Moon has officially launched after that very successful initial screening at the Cannes Film Festival this year. Now to talk about more about the festival and everything that's been going on around it, I am joined by our CEO, Julian Marcel, the CEO of the box office company and our colleagues over at our B2C network of websites, including Allocine, the biggest website for moviegoers in France. Julian, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Daniel. Very happy to be uh, with you. It's really, really hard to complain. Really hard. <laughs> <laughs> One of the nicest moments of the of the year. It's uh, it's fancy to pretend we are exhausted and it's really tiring, but uh, the reality is it's a privilege to be here, and I enjoy every minute of it. 
No, it's it's great to have our entire team from the box office company and from Box Office Pro France on the ground covering this event. We've also got our colleagues at Allocine, the B2C leading website for digital media news about the cinema industry and movie culture over in France. So we've got a full team on the ground at the festival. Let's start with a macro view of things, Julian. You've been going to Cannes for many, many years now. What are your main takeaways from this year's edition of the festival so far? Well, the first thing I want to say is that like every year, uh, Cannes comes with uh, this mix of expected and unexpected events. On the expected side, we had uh, the presence of renowned uh, Cannes directors, such as uh, Wim Wenders, uh, Marco Bellocchio, uh, Corey Edar, Karis Mackey, uh, and many others. So the usual suspects, uh, I like to say. On the expected side, we already had a couple of polemics because there is not a a decent uh, Cannes festival without a polemic. And this year, uh, clearly, the opening night with uh, Johnny Depp's uh, presence as he portrayed Louis, Louis the Fifteenth in a French movie that opened the festival certainly generated a lot of uh, discussion. But there are also some pleasantly unexpected uh, aspects to this uh, to this Cannes Film Festival. For the first time, we have as much as seven female directors in competition, which is a significant and positive step towards greater gender diversity in the festival. And beyond all these elements, I think a very important element about the Cannes Film Festival is that it serves as a barometer for assessing the level of attractiveness of the cinema industry, the level of tension and cooperation between movie theaters and streaming platforms, and certainly a very good year. And for the first year in probably five or six years, we had a lot of very positive media coverage around the industry and the festival, and, and that should be highlighted. And that's such an important part of what Cannes means to the global film industry. It is the world's most prestigious film festival. And everything that we take out of it, not only the films, but also, like you say, the polemics, the tensions, I think it has ripple effects. One of the things that you alluded to in your prior response is the tensions that streaming has traditionally had with the Cannes Film Festival in recent years. There's been a distance between streaming and the Cannes Film Festival in recent years. Has that bridged in any way this year? That has radically changed. I mean, this year, is really the year for me of the great reconciliation between uh, streaming and movies. I mean, so, some very striking uh, elements we saw uh, on the red carpet, uh, Mr. Tim Cook himself walking the red carpet alongside uh, Martin Scorsese and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio together with the Paramount team. What a good illustration. We had also uh, Bob Iger himself coming for the uh, for the first screening of uh, Indiana Jones. And I think all these elements are very interesting signs that this year it feels good being close to the theatrical industry. And we could see that uh, Cannes this year celebrated really Prime Video, celebrated Disney+. Plus. Uh, there is an announcement in the making between uh, Disney+, Plus and uh, Canal+, Plus in France, which has been a controversial issue for many years around the French uh, uh, release window. So... A lot of very positive signs, and this year there was clearly not the distance that we observed in previous years. Again, last night I was at a screening of a, of an HBO of the HBO uh, premiere of two of the episodes of The Idol, and that was in the big auditorium on the red carpet. They had the, the full can experience, and so it, it's really, really a very, very encouraging sign to see streaming and theatrical working together. 
And that's clearly for me uh, the next step after what you uh, covered in detail around CinemaCon. That was also the, the year of this reconciliation. The only absent player is really Netflix, not completely absent in the conversation, but look, they have always been more distant to the, uh, to the theatrical. They have their own strategy. That's fine. The fact that we have Prime Video so present that Apple TV Plus is there, I think as such is, is a very, very positive uh, element. I think you said it best here. It's not about competing. It's about coexisting. It's about streaming and theatrical, working together, make sure that great streaming content has a home in movie theaters and that movie theaters can help launch that streaming content down the line. And we're seeing that reconciliation at a major film festival. It's a two-way street, right? We keep on saying on this podcast, we want streaming to play nicer with uh, theatrical. It's always great to see a great pro-theatrical festival like Cannes opening its doors to those streamers that do want to work with theatrical. Those that don't have the option to do so whenever they want, and the door will remain open. Let's talk about the French market as a whole. You mentioned Canal Plus and Disney Plus. Uh, I'm not sure if partnership is the right word, but there's, there's a collaboration there. There's been a lot of questions around the windowing, around everything beyond the theatrical window in France, the chronology of medias, the crude translation. What's the situation there now? Because last year, because of these tensions, Disney was threatening to pull big, big movies from theatrical release. Is that calming down now? Yeah, it, there is really a bigger change. First element in this change is the, the market recovery. The, the past few months have been very good. Uh, in France in terms of box office, like in many countries. By the way, we see uh, these positive trends uh, all over the world. But a uh, very symbolic element of this recovery is the fact that uh, April this year was the first year since COVID that the French admissions went over their level of 2019, 2018, to 2017. A few percent above, period. Not the best since in a given week, in a given time, on a given movie, no. It was over in uh, in terms of admission, and that's uh, that has been a, a very important message that most of the French media heard loud and clear. And it was very interesting to see that I got a, a number of other interviews, and the narrative has changed. All of a sudden, the question is, how comes the the, the theatrical market is back? And that's a first a very important element. And back to your question on Canal Plus and Disney, you covered in the, in the podcast a few months ago this challenge that. Uh, Disney did not release their uh, their end of year movie uh, last year Avalon uh, because they uh, they had not found an agreement on the release window in the middle of the Cannes Film Festival on the the day after Bob Iger was in France and by the way met with the French president the CEO of Canal Plus announced that French moviegoers and French spectators could see Avatar 2 on Canal Plus and on my canal SVOD platform six months after uh, the movie release. That's a big, big thing. And that's a big agreement that probably uh, is a sign that uh, the ability to work together uh, will, will be much better down the road. So listen, I can watch Nani Moretti movies, uh, Coretta movies, Vim Vendors movies all day, but can does have a responsibility to be relevant for younger viewers. What's been the impact of this year's festival with those younger moviegoers through what we're seeing in our traffic data? I think what is really uh, interesting is that uh, year after year, especially since uh, since COVID, there is a growing attractiveness attractiveness of the Cannes Film Festival toward younger media. In our case, in France, with uh, Allocine, which is more than a website, it's also a galaxy of social media, etc. Altogether, I think we sent a crew of nearly seventy people to cover the, the film festival. That's the biggest 
festival ever for us with a number of uh, partners, etc. And uh, and if I look at all the key players, TikTok is a partner of the uh, the Cannes Film Festival. They were present here with the strategic partnership. YouTube was very present this year. They released a lot of content highlighting their partnership with the cinema industry and their ambition to be not only a place where creators can express themselves, but also a media that contributes to drive traffic to movie theaters. And I think that when you see all these uh, these platforms who really want their, an association to the theatrical industry, that's a very, very uh, strong, uh, very strong statement and that contributes to our overall audience. Last element I can share, which is about the opening night movie this year. It drove to movie theaters in France four times the number of uh, moviegoers that the opening night movie uh, drove to movie theaters last year, four times. So clearly the impact is much, much uh, bigger than it was in the past. Now, when we talk about technology, we do have to bring up an emerging technology here that's been at the center of some controversy as it relates to a couple of the Hollywood unions. The Writers' Union is currently on strike in the United States. There are talks that the Actors' Union is considering some movement. At the core of those tensions is the role of AI in Hollywood. Now, AI is not only something that has a role in Hollywood, it's something that can influence other parts of the industry as well. What's been the reception of AI as a general concept at the Cannes Film Festival by the players this year? Well, what is clear is that probably like in many industries, AI these days is in all conversations. And, you know, in, as part of the Cannes Film Festival, there is also the Cannes Next, and there is also a number of conferences all over. And there has been a, a big focus, and it has become a prominent topic in all these public uh, panels. And I think it's a good thing to see that Cannes is embracing this conversation, serving as a forum to explore the balance between uh, human creativity and technological advancements. That's a big challenge. That's uh, in all private conversations, all the discussions I had with uh, and the meetings I had with uh, with uh, studios, with producers. There is not one lunch or one dinner when the, the topic of AI doesn't come on the table with people sharing their experience. And it's, uh, and it's clearly everybody sees that coming as a transforming element, probably one of the biggest revolution in the making. And Cannes is clearly uh, a place where this discussion takes place. And I think that's, a, that's an important element to highlight. And of course, looking at the diversity of the festival, you mentioned earlier the increased presence of female directors, both in and out of competition with the uh, films being screened at Cannes 2023. Another big part of the diversity is geographic diversity that we have at the festival in and out of competition as well, a very diverse lineup of films. But around Cannes itself, it's been a, a pretty diverse week, as I understand it, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, as always, there are uh, directors and movies from all over the world. No, no big surprise uh, on that. I'd like to highlight maybe uh, some of the surprises that uh, that come. There is a big presence this uh, this year of the northern Northern African countries. Uh, that's by the way the cover page of the French edition of the Box Office Pro uh, magazine for the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, the Maghreb region being present with a lot of uh, very good movies in all the conditions, the, the competitions, the main one and the parallel ones. And so that's a very uh, striking element. Another player that gets a lot of uh, discussion is uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, 
that is that has a very strong presence. And what is interesting is that five years after the uh, initial opening of the first, it's pretty much five years that the first movie theater opened in Riyadh in uh, 2018. There are now close to 700 movie uh, movie screens in the country, and so the industry is is getting together. And at the same time, we see the emergence of young creators. I spend a fair part of the afternoon with uh, young directors, two f- female directors, one male director from the Saudi Arabia that were presenting that they are short in short film corners. And that's a refreshing new type of, uh, of content. And we really see the early steps of a new market. And I want to, to take two uh, lessons from that. Number one, new markets are a positive sign. But what is also very exciting is that if markets that bet on uh, all the industries that have a bright future where they should invest their money define that movie theaters are part of this promising industry, I think behind just the positive message for them, it's also a positive message for the rest of the world that these new emerging or re-emerging in the case of Maghreb markets are betting on an industry that has a bright future, and this industry is the theatrical industry. And it's great to see that momentum. It's great to see that excitement from many different countries, from influential tech companies, like you mentioned, Google through YouTube. You have TikTok there. You have Apple, CEO of Apple there, the CEO of Disney coming in, putting in the FaceTime, putting in the effort, not for a streaming festival, but for a film festival that promotes, first and foremost, the theatrical experience worldwide, globally. And as you mentioned, I think that's the big takeaway from reading all that great coverage from our colleagues at Box Office Pro France this week in that theatrical is an exciting place to be. It's a place where major brands, major companies want to invest, want to be associated with. And there is one dimension this year that I found very uh, striking, especially I I had the privilege to attend the uh, Indiana Jones uh, screening. So it was not in the competition, but it was clearly a big event in the same way that Top Gun Maverick last year was a big event. And you know how much it means for me, as always. And seeing Harrison Ford, and then on the the, the few days later, seeing uh, Martin Scorsese walk the red carpet. And there is this sense that as the... uh, the industry is finally re-emerging from a couple of challenging years. Well, these great artists, creators, directors, actors who have been part of the uh, success of the last uh, 20, 30, 40 years of our industry are still here to sort of um, have a transmission to the next generation as we see the beginning of a brighter future. And really, this uh, Golden Palm ceremony for Harrison Ford this year is, will certainly remain as one of the highlights, given the emotion that was there. Really, Harrison Ford was extremely moved by the situation, and there was really uh, this sense of recognition. He looked, at the, he looked at the crowd in the big auditorium of Cannes, and he said, well, some people say that when you're about to die, you see your whole life flashing in front of your eyes. Well, that's exactly what happened to me uh, tonight in front of, of all of you. That was very moving, plus a very good movie as well. And so uh, th- that's really one of the highlights for me of this. And that movie, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, is coming out later this summer from Disney. Also coming, that was out of competition at the Cannes Film Festival, is Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, releasing this fall from Paramount Pictures in collaboration with Apple TV+. That's how you call it. Julian, thank you so much for joining us here on the Box Office Podcast. Thank you, Danielle.
And that was Julian Marcel, the CEO of the box office company, joining us here to talk about everything from the Cannes Film Festival. Thank you again, Julian. And thank you again earlier in this podcast to our box office analyst, Jesse Rifkin, for going over the Fast X global launch and our weekend forecast of The Little Mermaid coming out to theaters from Disney this weekend. The Box Office Podcast is produced by Box Office Pro in collaboration with Box Office Company and Record Edit Podcast. Mm-hmm.